this is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, copies of Pokemon Red and Blue for the Game Boy found in someone's basement, Brian Murray. Hi. And Nick White. Hey. The question of the day is, are you Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue? But before you answer that, I have one quick announcement. Um, If you didn't know, if you're not following us on any kind of social media, you may have seen that a brand new Patreon series dropped this past weekend, A Better Batmobile. Episode 1 is out on April 16. It's probably the coolest Patreon series we've done to date. And I don't want to talk bad about Giant Days of Our Lives or Saga of Saga or Paul and Mike Redeem Patrol or IRCB Movie Club, all those other fantastic series that we have. But holy smokes, A Better Batmobile is so much fun. I was on the first episode. Kara's on the second episode. We've got a bunch of different things that we're going to be doing with that series, which I'm excited about just because of the number of people that are coming onto it. Um, But this is following Grant Morrison's entire run on Batman. We talk about everything that they've done and everything they accomplished through their giant established story that they were kind of telling through many different years and eras of DC Comics. So if you're interested in that, you should check out the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash IRCB podcast and subscribe. We're going to have new episodes coming out every other week. So we'll have a new one on April 30th and then every other two weeks after that. So look forward to that. Let's get into this show, though. Brian, Nick, I've got two legally mandated questions I've got to ask you. And that optional third one is to whether you're Pokemon Red or Blue. And that's how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Um, I guess I would definitely have to be Pokemon Blue, uh, because that's what I had, and um, there was no way in hell I was gonna get both of those. So, um, right? Who who owned both Red and Blue when they were a kid? Like, I, I, I don't think I knew anybody that did that, unless they had like a younger or older brother that also played Pokemon. I mean, I I think it was probably a pretty good like determinant of like your parents' economic standing as to whether or not they were constantly buying you like all of the Pokemon games. Uh, I think <laughs> yes. that was like true. It's, true. True. It's really just more like their, their willingness to indulge you in every little thing, because like my family was never hurting for cash, but if I had asked for two copies of basically the same video game, my mom would have beat the shit out of me. There's no question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, I, I don't know. I feel like you could make the argument that they're not the same game, but no, I, I oh, not that. to my parents. You and could, I right. tried to make that argument. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it failed. mom who it's this or i have to make a friend Uh, (laughs) the the, truth yeah yeah exactly there's still still a part of my life that is spent like talking to my friends determining who's going to get which version of pokemon right just so that we can cover our bases yeah we did that with sword and shield and we'll probably continue to do that with the future pokemon games as they come out i just know i'm getting that little uh little pepper alligator guy (laughs) that's all that matters that's all that matters Nick, well, what about comics? How, how have they been? How, how have you been? So on and so forth. I mean, I'm not interested about those topics now. I just want to talk about Pokemon. All right, let's do that. This is now <laughs> the I Play Pokemon Game Boy Games podcast. This is the uh, I actually acquired a Mew during the Blue Red era, and it's not an urban legend. It's actually for real mm-hmm. uh, podcast. It's under the truck. Oh, no. You, you, you mean it's under the SSAN, that whole urban legend? <laughs> Oh, yeah. If you could just get the boat to move, there's right. something under there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or whatever it was. Anyway, so this is now a conspiracy theory oriented uh, Pokemon podcast. Uh, and and <laughs> the other one about the whole city that's like apparently everyone's secretly dead. Lavender Town or whatever. So there's well, all sorts that of is true. Uh, OK, Nick, we got to talk about comic books. <laughs> I, we can have Not this anymore. conversation in the break. But <laughs> what have you been reading? God damn it. <laughs> So, I mean, let's cover a few things. I know a couple weeks ago, I did say that I was looking forward to uh, The Rocketeer, The Great Race, number one. I, I can say that I have read that book. And, um, I mean, there's there's a lot to like here. I think that um, Leno Grady's colors are great. Uh, he uses these interesting sort of, like, blues and purples for metallic sheens, whether it's, like, the front of the, uh, the nose of an airplane or, like, the core of the jetpack. Um, and these sort of interesting blues and purples that I really like. Um, as far as Mooney's uh, writing, uh, he makes Cliff Secord absolutely dumb as hell, which is um, like that's canon. That's that's just canonically accurate. Like make the Rocketeer just super super stupid, 
and doesn't think about anything, doesn't plan, just sort of just crashes into situations and says, I've got a gun. And then they like disarm him. And then he's like, well, now I don't know what to do at all. And he's like, I guess I better escape. And then he like turns away from them and he jets off into the air. So they have this nice big metallic thing to aim their guns at Mm -hmm. as they attempt to shoot him out of the sky and, and inevitably do. Yeah, I mean, basically every narrative of The Rocketeer is about Nazis secretly operating in America. So it's basically now, except now they don't see a reason to hide anymore. Um, So it's basically now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, look, Cliff's ability to fight crime seems to be restricted to within like 60 miles of his house. Because I think like that's the operating range of the jetpack. So it's sort of like when you're dealing with Aquaman and he's like, I'm going to get you. And then you're like. Uh, yeah, but I just moved to Iowa, and he's like, "Well, fuck!" Can like, Aquaman if you don't only swim in salt water. Oh, I didn't know. Is that part of it too? I don't know. That's you know, we're gonna have to get a DC expert. He's just, on the show. he's just, he's he. You, you, if if you just want to run a criminal operation like devoid of Aquaman, just switch it to Lake Superior. Yeah, maybe right. that's the plan. Right. But basically, uh, yeah, if if you want to avoid the Rocketeer, just get outside of that 60 mile radius. And I think you're probably fine. <laughs> like with Spider-Man, like as long as you're in some place that doesn't have skyscrapers. Right. As long as everything's restricted to a first floor in a basement, he's powerless. Uh, here's the one thing I do find kind of curious about this book is that I, I really like Mooney's art, but the shading and inking in this book is a little weird. Um, it starts to veer the book towards realism, which is certainly a style that some Rocketeer artists have uh, aimed towards. I think like Alex Ross, for example, obviously. But it sort of moves away from Mooney's strengths and it doesn't really imitate Half Past Danger, which was definitely more cartoony and a little bit uh, closer to like Doc Shaner, for example. Mm. And like that's not to say you can't evolve and change as an artist, even though honestly it's a little inconvenient to me and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> It was kind of weird, especially because his his like half past danger style borderline seemed perfect for this book. And I sort of figured it was why he was hired. So it's a little it starts to veer a little into the uncanny valley. But beyond that, interesting first issue. Uh, This guy is hiring Cliff to pilot his new super plane with this great technology in this air race across Europe because uh, and Cliff says yes because he needs money because he needs to impress his his uh, his girlfriend because he's constantly worried that like she's um she's like going to find someone better than him. So uh, there's all sorts of healthy psychological emotions abound in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, I did also read Radio Spaceman number two. We did talk about the first one a couple months ago. Months ago, last month feels like it was months ago. Mm-hmm. It was last month. Uh, so this is written by Mike Mignola. Art by Greg Kinkle, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Clem Robbins. And you know what's kind of funny about the second issue is that in in the same way that the first issue was sort of a like drop into this pulp narrative, just kickstart everything and we're going to go 100 miles an hour and just, just buckle in and you'll figure it out, right? The second issue almost feels exactly the same way. Like I get that it's a two-part series, but I think you could almost just read number two and be fine. <laughs> I mean, have you read it yet, Mike? I, I haven't read it yet because oh, okay. I, I was really, I was really aiming to, but I was, I just was too tired this week. Moving house is tiring. Did you know that? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I wanted to, but I was, you know, wanted to really make the joke of Radio Spichemin, um, you know, all, to all sorts of missed opportunities this week. Danny says he agrees. Okay, there we go. So mo- the the motion has been seconded. Yes, okay. Um. Yeah. I'll. I'll. I'm. I'm curious to hear what you think because honestly, I think it totally stands alone. It's fine. It's basically just a game of Mike Mignola bingo. Um, is there a sacrifice to ancient gods? Yeah. Are there disgusting body mutations? Mm-hmm. Are there death cult? Are there death cults driving people to madness? Yes. Skulls all over the place. Mm-hmm. Murderous frogs. Yep. That's a Mike Mignola bingo. Everybody mm-hmm. can go home. Mm-hmm. But enough about Muskegon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a joke for the Michigan folks in the house. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. It clearly sets itself up for more if they want to do more. I think it would be fine. I would definitely appreciate more of this book. Uh, totally enjoyed it. Definitely recommend it. And as we've talked about before on this show, it's so rare to have books where it's like, so this is a one this is a one shot or this is a two part thing and it's totally unrelated to anything else. I don't think that pitch 
survives at most publishers anymore. I don't right. think uh, I think it dies a quick death. Uh, the only way you can do anything like this is if you're literally Mike Mignola, you can pretty much, you know, print any, you know, print any check you want, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's he's in the position of like anything with his name on it sells at least X, you know, like 5,000, 8,000 copies. Um, and if it actually ends up being good, maybe it'll send, sell like 10 or 12,000. <laughs> so Dark yeah. Horse really doesn't have to take a risk with him, I don't think. And then he's like, yeah, this is a character based on some sketches I did. And it says I wrote it. But honestly, if you look at a lot of books, it says I've written. I didn't. I was like, <laughs> OK, this is a bull truth interview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are some things I've been reading, and um, there's some other stuff I've been reading and enjoying and probably going to read more of, but we can talk about that more in the second half of the show. So uh, yeah. Yeah, what, Brian, what about you, Brian? Yeah. Uh, well, I actually haven't d- didn't put this in my notes, but our talk of Pokemon earlier reminded me. I've finally gotten onto that Festival of Champions Dujinshi that Mike has been <gasps> pitching for a long time. Yo. What the hell is this? Uh, is it's a Pokemon a- Go thing? No, no, no. <laughs> Say a fan comic, essentially. Um, oh, okay. But but it all takes place around a a fake tournament to establish the Elite Four or something. I've been reading it in like chunks, so I'll read a, a bunch of it one day and then nothing for three weeks. So it's kind of a so is this my, hosted my on someone's website or is it via service? Because I imagine Nintendo is probably not officially endorsing this. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not official. Okay, um, but it is pretty good. Um, I, I just read a a section where Gary is being just a, a true shit. I'm sorry, Blue is Blue. being a true shit yeah. towards the Dark type gym leader or elite four member whose name I can't remember. Karen, Karen is her name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they go a lot more into like what this person thinks of her as a character and how they think her story would have gone if we had actually gotten to explore it much mm-hmm. at all. And I think that's really interesting because I love an opportunity to, to dig deeper into characters who, you know, cause, cause Pokemon not exactly known for its, its narrative, mm-hmm. but I love this idea of, yeah, but what if it was? Yeah. This, this series is really interesting because it, I feel like it explores. I mean, if you've ever read like any of the Pokemon manga and I've only dabbled a little bit, the, the stories in those are very focused on just like, the character like whoever it is or the two characters whoever they are um and this i feel like tries to explore like every character that gets involved like a true manga would and i don't know you can tell it's like a labor of love because each each chapter that is released is like super detailed and cares about every single pokemon that's in there like nothing is throwaway uh even if the story is a little convoluted but uh man i'm so glad that you're reading this though because it's like it's so short but it's so good like if you if you just want some weird pokemon lore yeah it's that it's it's tough because it's it's not official or anything like that so we talk about it being pokemon lore it's it's absolutely not yeah but it is it is a, a really fun read it, it's a great thing to like pop over to when i'm bored and i'm supposed to be working <laughs> yeah oh yeah um uh, but yeah it is, and it's available like on a not so i guess like legal site you know um okay so, but at the same time like the thing about these doujinshi comics is that they're fan comics right and so they the people that are publishing them usually aren't making like money off of them they they maybe will sell them online or maybe they'll put them on pixiv and they'll get a little bit of money from views and stuff but they're not this isn't their job most of the time folks that are making doujinshi like this their primary job is probably making manga or anime um for like a licensed property and this is like their side gig and they usually put this under out like under a false name or something um even if the style you can kind of tell who it is um it's a whole there's a whole subculture thing like it'd be interesting i'd love to bring someone on the show who's like a doujinshi expert to walk us through this because there's like a whole subculture in japan about this that's really really interesting but um yeah i yeah. mean I, i'm guessing you're digging this book then brian yeah so far i mean it's i, I think i'm more than halfway through it at this point mm-hmm. um but it's yeah it, it manages to like i think hold true to this spirit of like this is what a pokemon championship is like mm-hmm. uh but without necessarily softening things for kids like and i know that makes it sound like this is like edgelord pokemon and that's not what it is but you know it's it's giant monsters beating the tar out of each other they're they're going to get hurt, not you know, cleanly fall unconscious like they do in the 
anime or the, the games. Right. And I, I love how they, they go into like actual strategy for a Pokemon battle mm-hmm. instead of just the reality, which is I'm going to say to use this move. And if I'm faster, I'm going to beat you. Right. <laughs> which is how Pokemon goes in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, I have been, like I said, I've been kind of tired and, and just exhausted and busy prepping to move. Um, Kelly and I moved to our new house this upcoming Friday. So um, if you're listening to this on Friday, April 22nd, I will no longer live where I am now. I will live in a new place that is different than that place. You'll and I know your opportunity. Yeah, that, you know, you'll, yeah. It'll, I know this will really affect you and your life. Um, but yeah, anyways, so I've been um, strangely buying a lot of physical comic books that I know I'm just going to have to pack up and move. <laughs> like I went to the comic shop the other day to pick up books that I had held at the shop that's close to me now and that I had to cancel my pulls so I could move to a new shop. And then I bought extra books. Like I knew that I could have waited. I didn't have to buy them. Um, so, you know, just doing that to myself. But I did read a few books. Uh, I read X Force Annual Number One. Uh, this is the the 2022 annual that came out, written by Nadia Shamas, with art by Raphael Pimentel. Ultimately, I think this is like one of the coolest X Men books that's come out in a little while, um, especially in this dawn of destiny or whatever the fuck we're calling it destiny of X um, era that we're in now. After Jonathan Hickman has kind of left the X Men um like universe and now it's kind of being run by like benjamin percy and jerry dugan and a couple of other people the x-force book on the whole has kind of been a flop for me recently because they're really leaning into beast is so bad you won't even believe how bad he is that's kind of like the the mentality of it and um i thought that this issue while still has it still has the like beast is a bad guy shtick in it um worked as like a really interesting primer for not only the series but also the status of the current x universe like i would really want to give this issue to someone and be like hey what do you think of this without knowing anything that's going on in the x-men universe um because i think outside of the 13 point size text page that shamas does that all the X-Men, excuse me, all the X-Men books are doing recently where they put in like an entire like chapters worth of prose um, on one page as squished down as possible just to like establish some lore that's not even truly relevant to the whole issue. It's really frustrating that the X-Men writers are doing this all the time. Like every single fucking book seems to be doing this. And I can't explain how frustrated it is because as much as I want to know X-Men lore, I comic book form is not the way to to express it with like full text pages like that like if you broke it up into columns it would work but instead it's just big wide tiny font paragraphs and it it kills me every single time um get get smarter about this everybody um but anyways i think shamas does a really good job explaining where the x-force team is like right now the x-force team is beast and sage um kind of working at the home base with wolverine kid omega aka quentin choir and domino going out into the field and that's such a wild bunch to send out there because one a three-person team is really interesting it's just like dungeons and dragons like the smaller your party size between like three and four it's kind of like perfect because you can't really cover every base but if you get to like a seven-person team it becomes too cumbersome and it's hard to read in terms of comics so like i don't know there's some balance there that's really really working but i i really like the way that shamas just played with everything i think pimentel's art was stupendous i think the person that's on the regular x x4 series is okay i think they're a little bit too like weird painterly for my my liking but it's it's still good it's just it wasn't as good as this artist so i I really enjoyed this issue overall um and like i said i'd love to give this issue to someone who isn't reading the x-men and be like what's your take on all this um the only and the only reason i really didn't like the last issue of x-force uh number 27 i just want to call this out is because there's a scene where agent brand what's her name uh brand she works on sword she comes up or abigail brand that's her name um she walks up to beast who has like lost an eye recently and she puts her fucking finger in his eye hole and i don't know why that happened in the comic book like what the fuck is happening it's it's so weird um I just had someone out there explain to me what the relevance of that scene was, because, guys, it's so Danny gross. says they used to hook up. And oh, Danny, that explains nothing. I know that they used to hook up. It was a whole thing. I was actually very happy for the both of them. Like they're weird, like kind of like I'm too smart for everyone around me, but I can be like weird and horny with this other person. That was great. I love that relationship with them. But now it's it's fucking dark. And I don't like that she 
fingered his hole on screen. It like I don't know how oh. to describe it because it's straight up they showed it in the comic book. It is so well. Weird. I'm just relieved because somebody posted that picture on Twitter last week, and I had no context <laughs> oh, for good. what I was looking at. Oh, good. Is is it better now that you do have context, or is it this worse? is worse? This I is a hundred percent worse. The context I mean, is like she just shows up to be like, "Hey, beast, how's it going? I heard you're having a bad time." And then there's silence for four panels, and then she says, yeah. "Can I touch it?" Like, what the fuck, guys? I, anyways, we're gonna move on. I hear um, you're having a bad time. Let me make it worse. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with that book, but let me talk about it. A book that I actually really liked as well. Um, this is Made in Korea, uh, number one through six, uh, written by Jeremy Holt, art by George Shaw, letters by Adam Ouellette. Um, I'd heard a lot of really good things about this book, uh, and I never picked it up when it was coming out. I just like didn't know what it was about. I thought it was just going to be like another robot story, um, which, you know, is interesting. I figured I'd probably read it because it was a miniseries. Um, but then I just like, I don't know, something got into my skin. And I was like, you know, I should fucking read that book. And so I sat down and read it. The synopsis for anyone who's curious is that is this. Um, for Jesse, the world's first true AI system, growing up means learning to think outside the box. This exciting new six-issue miniseries will redefine what it means to be a family in an age when biological parenthood is no longer a reality. Interesting concept. The execution is better. The The idea for this book is one thing, and what the story that it actually tells, and I don't want to spoil it because I think everybody should read this book. This is like one of those probably best comic of of whatever, like the last two or three years kind of things in my mind, because I think the bait and switch of this book is like, here's a good premise. And then it switches out with an even better story is amazing. Uh, I think Holt really pulls one over on you in the first couple of issues talking about like the world in the future is kind of a bad place. No one can have children. Um, Violence in school is still a thing, but then like what the character Jesse becomes as you watch them grow from this just robot that's smart and kind of funny into like an actual person as the story moves forward is really, really smart. Like you actually see like incremental growth issue to issue and the payoff in the end is incredible. Uh, I, I I just want everybody to read this to tell me that it's good because I know that it's good. It's very fucking good. So read this book. It will really, really impress you, I think, um, with what the final story becomes because I didn't see it coming and then re like refocusing back on or like reflecting back on the previous issues. I was like, oh my gosh, this was so obvious and it's so good. So yeah, highly recommend this book if you get a chance. I, I really, really recommend it. But yeah, I guess, uh, Brian, did you read anything else this week you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, I got to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a minute. Let's get into it. You might remember my my pick of what I'm going to read a few weeks ago was the the annual or something. I don't even remember at this point, but I tried to read it and I was like, nope, I I don't understand anything that's going on. I need to refresh myself on the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had only read the first six issues. I think when it was coming out week to week or month to month or whatever. So I went back and got all the trades off Hoopla and then I got to uh, volume three and I didn't understand what the hell was going on because it turns out there's a whole Buffy the Vampire Slayer Angel event that takes place between volumes two and three. And if you haven't read that, like none of where we start in volume three will make any kind of sense. Awesome. It awesome. took it took me like two or three issues to figure out like, OK, I just missed something. This isn't like a thing they're going to explain. Right. <laughs> because sometimes um, comics do be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they'll get like an issue or two of like, what the fuck is happening? And then they'll explain it after that. It's like, no, none of that. And then vol- the volume three ends. This will be some some mild spoilers, but this volume came out like a year and a half, two years ago. So I'm not that worried about it. That volume ends with Willow, her girlfriend Rose, Anya, and Jenny Calendar fleeing a fast food restaurant on the back of a giant bat. Uh, they are fleeing because all the men in Sunnydale are possessed by an ancient evil. Uh, and <laughs> Xander is either dead or has fully become a vampire after mm-hmm. being a half vampire for most of the series. Okay. Uh, and then at volume four, it starts with Buffy eating fries. Uh, Buffy, who was missing at the end of volume three. So there's some other bullshit I got to find to figure out how we got to volume four. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's the Willow miniseries, but I'm not positive. 
and I can't find out because I'm out of Hoopla Borrows for this month. I mean, who do we got to call at Oni Press or whoever published it? Who's publishing Boom. Boom now? Who do we got to yeah. call to get this sorted out? I mean, Buffy's not that hard to sell. Like, <laughs> could you imagine if you had gone and bought the physical editions of these books or something and like th- two goes into three, three goes into four? Like, you would be completely lost. Like, I'd throw the books away. I would be livid if I had yeah. actually spent money on it. Like, I'm still pissed. But if I had spent money on it, I'd yeah. be very angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This just goes back to whatever episode I was on last where we were like reading order. It's important. If they're going to have stories continue, you better fucking tell me. And of all the places to put the, hey, this story continues in, why is it not at the end of a trade, right? Like you have the chance to reprint anything that you want in the the collections of those comics. Like why wouldn't you put a at the end of the the volume, like follow the rest of the story in Angel and Buffy or whatever it goes to next. Yeah. Or even like even if at the beginning of volume three. They had been like, had a little bubble, like confused, see Angel and Buffy Hellmouth or something like that. Right, right, right. That still would have been irritating, but at least then I would know where to look. Well, we'll get on the phone with our with our friend over at Boom Studios, whoever that may be, um, fictional or not, and get that figured out. I think the reason why this irks me so much is that I'm really enjoying the series. Like, I I think that like as Jordi Belair is is writing it, at least for these volumes, I don't Mm -hmm. know if, if she kept on it, but... It's really well written. I, I love the art. And I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I want to. But you gotta you gotta give me something. At least at least a map. Give me a fucking X marks the spot for these books. <laughs> We're gonna start a support group just for this. Like, I love this comic book, but I'm so lost. Yeah. <laughs> powers of x marks the spot there we go yeah this sounds like a reddit reading order to the uh to the rescue sort of thing mm-hmm. which is somebody's uh, which is ridiculous you shouldn't need that for something like this right yeah yeah this is buffy this isn't like the avengers yeah i know and it's amazing how fast it happened too like at the by the end of volume two, we were splitting off in ways that I can't track anymore. Oh no! <laughs> but I'm gonna keep trying because I don't know. I'm a sucker. Got to get your Buffy somehow, right? I guess. Yeah, in a way that is utterly divorced from Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Nick, did you read anything else you want to talk about? Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've got some other stuff, but we could probably wait until after the break if you want, or. Uh... Or no, I mean, no, let's, stuff let's I'm looking in, we'll, forward to. We'll go into it's sort it of a, It's sort of a blend, right? Like, I'm reading I'm reading some of it right now, but I'm also, like, super pumped to read more of the series in the future, so I don't know where you want to. All right, we'll save it then. I, I want to talk about one last book uh, okay. before we go into the break. Um, I also read, I, a lot of people on our Discord read this. I think every, everybody loved it. Uh, I read it, and I also loved it. This is uh, Goodbye, Eri, uh by Tatsuki Fujimoto, the creator of uh, Chainsaw Man. It's another, it's a it's a 200-page one-shot that, like, will haunt you a little bit. Uh, if you didn't read uh, their previous uh, one-shot they did, I think it was called Near, it's, which was a, a story kind of about, like, a, a kind of horrendous thing that happened in japan that they wanted to write a story about but it seems like instead of writing more chainsaw man which i think everybody who is a fan of um, popular manga uh is is waiting for uh this dude has just been writing more like these one shots over at sheshua and i don't know who he paid to, to say hey that's okay just go ahead and do that put out one one shot a year um but i am simply impressed and i love it i do we need more chainsaw man if we're going to keep getting these types of stories that's what i keep asking this is like a a really weird story that focuses on like questioning reality, like what is real, what is not. It it plays around with this idea of an extremely unreliable narrator um, as this kid who spends all of his time taking videos of everything that he does because when he was younger, his mom gave him a camera and said, Hey, I'm dying. I want you to film everything that you can involving me and you and blah, blah, blah. So you remember me when I'm gone pretty fucked up start to the story Uh, but as things progress you start to question like why is he filming things what is the point like he's is he he just loves movies or is he trying to document everything and the story does a really good job of taking you out and taking you to places where you question like is this real is this a movie that he made is it something else i was really really impressed by it and i think like the the end of it 
left me with a thousand questions in like the best way, the way that a really kind of unique thriller movie would. And I, I'm really impressed with what happened. Everything that happens in the book is 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 wild and crazy. And I think it warrants a reread just to try to see if I could pick up on any more clues. But it's very, very good. So if you get a chance, you should go to the uh, Manga Plus website or the Shonen Jump site. I think you can read this for free right now. Uh, it's 200 pages, but it reads really, really quick. There isn't a ton of dialogue in it. It's a lot of imagery and different things to try to portray and make you question like, what is what real and what isn't. But yeah, I was really impressed by it. And I, I think everybody should read it. It's really fun. But yeah, let's let's take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk about comics that are on the top of our pile. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Hellfire Gala because those outfits are a lot. So we'll be we'll be right back. This week on I Read Comic Books, we're just talking about comics. If you were here live listening to us, you actually would have heard us talk about Pokemon for 15 minutes. So where were you? What have you been doing with your time? Join us on Sundays at 1 p.m. But I guess let's talk about comic books some more because we have some comics that we're excited for that are coming out or are just on the top of our pile. So let's dig right into things. I'm going to kick things over to you, Brian. What's on the top of your pile? Uh, so the top of my pile is probably not going to be that surprising. Uh, it's, it's a very in character pick for mm-hmm, me. I'm mm-hmm. uh, going with spider Gwen, Gwen verse number one. Nice. Uh, cause it's a, it's a multiversal spider person thing. And that's, that's kind of where I go. So it's written by Tim Seeley with illustrations by Jody Nishijima, uh, colors by Federico Blee and letters by Ariana Mar or Mayer. I didn't know this was happening. This is what I get for being fully unplugged from uh, the comics world, mm-hmm. um, except for whatever washes across my Twitter. I'm kind of like a filter feeder in that sense, like a catfish. <laughs> like I just crawl on the bottom of the comics river mm-hmm. and eat whatever comes into my mouth. Um, I'm glad this one made it down to the bottom of the river for you, Brian. Yeah. So issue number two is coming out this coming week, which is how I found out that issue number one came out like a month ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it came out in February. I think it's been at least a month. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that up and give it a go. It'll probably be bad, um, just because <laughs> this does not sound like a Tim Seeley book. Like, yeah. or I have or I have news for you. This book is going to get bleak and violent at some point. I hope so. I <laughs> cover. I, I love the cover because it has what looks, honest to God, like Spider Gwen in Wolverine pajamas. Hell yeah, on it, and that's that's all I need. Really? <laughs> like, it, it genuinely looks like a Wolverine onesie. I cannot stress that enough. Well, I'm tr- now I'm trying to figure out when the new Spider-Verse comes out. Because you Marvel, you know, for all the terrible choices they make with promoting all of their comics with their movies, usually tries to time things with comics in, a, in one way or another, right? Like, Eternal started coming out about six to eight months before the movie came out, which is just enough mm-hmm. time for them to get a trade out for people. Um, not that movie sales actually bump comics because that's a whole other discussion. Um, but still, they usually do that for, you know, the nerds like us who are shopping at comic shops. So I was like, when is the next Spider-Verse coming out? Yeah, and I, it comes out in October. So it'll be just in time for this to have a collected edition. So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a five issue miniseries. So even if even if it is bad and I don't like it, I, I can still buy all of it and not <laughs> waste too much of my money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> The quality of these types of comics have never deterred you from reading them all, right? Exactly. And I don't pay for gas anymore. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a, lot, a little more flexible on the quality of comic books that I, I spend my money on. Nice. Nice. Uh, Nick, what about you? What's on the top of your pile? What are you excited for? Well, I mean, if we're talking about stuff coming out next week, it would definitely be Ice Cream Man number 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from The Usual Crew. Uh, w. Maxwell Prince writing, Martin Morazzo on art, Chris O'Halloran on colors, and good old Neon on letters. There's not a whole lot of hints about this issue. There's not a whole lot out there. The promo text and image aren't exactly revelatory, but then again, I'm not sure when they ever really have been. I feel like they, they take it as an opportunity to just be super cryptic. So the, the issue number 29 is, is going to be titled Living Will. And it says, quote, presenting for no one the last will and testament of W.M. Parsons. Because I am a genius and and uh, have a liberal arts degree, which allows me to cling on to making stupid claims such as this one, 
it is interesting that W.M. Parsons and W. Maxwell Prince just so happened to have the same initials. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So there, there might be something there. Maxwell Prince has injected himself into this work in the past. Mm-hmm. So there is a precedent for that. And it wouldn't be a first if it happened again. Um, although I do think I do think we only saw him appear in the quarantine comics, which may or may not canonical. I consider them canonical. I assume that they should be treated as such, but maybe some people don't. I mean, what is canon in the Ice Cream Man universe, right? I think... I think we've had this discussion many times in our minisodes of like, is this real? Is this an alternate universe? Does this play into the bigger story? Is there a bigger story? Like, yeah. Yeah, that comic is so fucking wacky that like trying to apply a canon to it, I think, is is the road that leads to madness. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cover doesn't really help much because it's a cover of Ice Cream Man holding a cover of a comic, which is him holding a cover of the same comic of him holding a cover of the same comic and repeat ad infinitum. So interesting. Excited for this, especially because the last couple issues, I feel like I keep saying this and it still doesn't happen. Uh, The last couple issues have been hinting that we may or may not see a return to certain events that happened at the end of the, Oh, was that the second or the third trade with the ambulance and uh, whatnot? I think that Um, would be the third trade. Yeah, I'm thinking so, too. So just always, always excited for this book. Definitely excited for people to get current with the, I think, the arc that led up to this, which was arc seven, uh, because there's some real revelatory stuff at the end of that as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Uh, super pumped about that. So, well, I guess... For me this week, I, did you want to talk about the other book that you have on the notes here, Nick? I mean, wh- wh- if and when do you want me to discuss that book? Because there's there's a whole lot to say about that book. All right, all right. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Then, for I guess before yeah. I get into my picks, then uh, we did some fo- some folks hanging out with us on Discord because they're incredible. Um, and here are their picks for this week. Hannah is reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume One from IDW. They said that they were sitting on a bunch of issues and they or volumes and they need to read them. I think I need to do the same thing too. I've been feeling this this tickling in the back of my head. It's either I'm going to read Naruto or I'm going to read something else that's big after I finish East of West. So we'll see. Maybe it'll be Naruto. Let's just be honest. It's going to be Naruto. Um, Danny is reading uh, The Vampire Slayer number one. Jeff is reading a whole bunch of books. Um, Usagi Yojimbo volume 20, trying to get current. Uh, Batman 701 for a better Batmobile. And maybe reading Planet Size X-Men number one uh, to get caught up on the X-Men. I understand that. Everyone's always playing catch up all the time. Um, And Hugh is reading Catwoman Lonely City number three. I've been waiting for this issue to come out because I have the other two and I kind of wanted to read them all in one go. So I'm excited to see this book's coming out. But the thing that I'm excited about reading that's on the top of my pile is something that came in the mail for me on Thursday. This is God Hates Astronauts, the Omni Megabus. Uh, it's a huge omnibus that Ryan Brown put together of his entire God Hates Astronauts series. He did a Kickstarter a little while ago. Um, and with, you know, all of the delays from the supply chain issues that we've been having for forever, just kind of took a minute to get this book printed and mailed out to people. But I finally got my copy. Um, and I've owned so many volumes and issues of this series already. But I wanted to support Ryan Brown because I really like the stuff that he does. Um, so I grabbed this, uh, which I forgot. I got like the black bag edition, which means that it had like a custom drawing inside of it and a bunch of extra fun little things like a toe tag for the main character who dies um it's covered with you know this place came from 420 fart boat highway in shitsville <laughs> usa zip code 69420 uh time expired please don't dox me 420 uh date expired 420 2021 like i don't know ryan brown is just <laughs> i don't know man's gone crazy and i mean honestly who's not gonna laugh at the number 69 so um Anyways, I got a bunch of other stuff too, like little drawings and little zine covers and posters and stuff that came in this bag. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to read this. Uh, for those of you who don't know what God Hates Astronauts is, like the premise is a NASA funded group of arrogant, quote, super people must stop a rash of farmers that have been using rocket powered silos to launch themselves into outer space. As these astral farmers fire themselves all over the galaxy, NASA must utilize their every resource, such as a guy with a ghost cow head, a bunch of magic bears and a Chicago cop with robot arms who may or may not be Carl Winslow from Family Matters to avoid this intergalactic incident. This book is nonstop 
insanity. And I think that's what makes it so fun to me. I, I always really enjoy what Ryan Brown does. Like his work is always very funny. Like he always tries to make a very funny book. Um, and I, I think God hates astronauts. Like I've read the first volume of this a couple of times and now I'm glad to just have it all and I can read it all in one go. Um, though I'll probably read the digital edition because the omnibus is, is huge. It's heavy. Who reads omnibuses? Come on. But, uh, it's nice. It's going to be nice to have on a shelf. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I mean, I was kind of afraid when you were like, so if, 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 if for those of you out there who don't know what this book is about and you were like about to summarize, that, I was like, better you than me. I mean, if I you want to take a crack at that, go right ahead, buddy, because uh, it is hard to encapsulate that book other than that it is just everything and anything all at once. Uh, it's It's quite a book. And I know that there's been like addendums and additions and epilogues for epilogues and stuff as he just keeps pumping out little one shots and stuff. Um, but I'm excited to finally, I think it's all done for forever. Um, his new book, 8 Billion Genies, is coming out pretty soon with Charles Soule. Um, mm. I'm looking forward to that one, too, because the premise is stupid funny of what if everybody on the planet got a genie suddenly and you were able to you know, ask, a, ask it to give you three wishes? How would that work? Um, mm. it's, it's very interesting. It definitely sounds a little adjacent to uh, curse words. So oh, that's yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. If you were a fan of curse words, I've heard that 8 billion genies is, is up your alley. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. Uh, but, Nick, let's, let's talk about this other book that, oh, you're, that you're, you've been reading. Yeah. I mean, me to buy every single volume this past what I'm just going to say that what is this? Is this a joke? This is not a joke. I hit that buy button. I had a couple beers in me on Friday night and it happened. Oh, no, really? Yeah, it's like hundred twenty dollars. Yeah, I I wanted to read all of it. So go ahead. Tell us about this. This book. (laughs) Oh, no. Go ahead, Nick. Prove it. Prove yourself. Yeah, I feel like I feel like my book recommendations now have this weight behind them that I I didn't really understand before. So you underestimated great, the power of the microphone. <laughs> with great power comes one hundred and twenty dollars. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I, I think it's sort of an ongoing theme on this show is I think most people are aware that I'm pretty finicky about my manga. Uh, it's something you know I've been getting into within the last year, but I sort of am pretty picky about what I like to read, and most of it involves. Uh, tough guys sitting around at home doing uh, housework and frilly aprons, and for some reason that's that's what I dig. But but you we know, the house husband for anyone who's curious. Yeah, 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 and and also um, signed a somewhat Sakamoro days kind of falls into the same camp. So I was talking with Xander a while ago about manga, and we were talking about what we had been reading, and he says that he was working on this book. Uh, a couple more volumes of this book called Blade of the Immortal. And I was like, well, okay, the title already sounds pretty, pretty edgelordy to me, but let's, let's keep going here. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, it's this manga. It started coming out in the, in the nineties. And I was like, uh Oh, and um, I mean, I'll just read a little bit about it here and we can discuss it more at length. So the series was originally published in Kodansha's monthly afternoon, which is a monthly sign in manga magazine from June of 93 to December of 2012 and was compiled into 30 Tankoban volumes. And in America, for some reason, they chopped it into 33. I don't know what the logic was there, but apparently there was something. Uh, It was adapted in uh, America via Dark Horse. And uh, which was kind of interesting because back in the day, um, most manga adapted into America was um, simply mirror imaged in order to facilitate uh, left to right reading. Uh, because heaven forbid um, we ask uh, a, a poor American to um, read backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most manga would be mirrored imaged. Uh, except there are some problems with that, um, and I didn't really think about all of them, so I Googled it to sort of have a much smarter person explain it to me. And of course, there are all sorts of issues with mirror imaging. Um, a character that's most characters that are sudden that are right-handed suddenly look left-handed when you mirror image, <laughs> right? Which is a real problem. If there are references within the comic book to left and right, they're suddenly incorrect. So that's <laughs> right? also a problem. Uh, and, and obviously there are other ones and certainly continuity issues uh, that can crop up. So mirror imaging uh, also 
localizing that was a real issue, but they decided to do it because, again, how dare you make someone read right to left? But apparently the guy behind this book uh, who wrote and drew it, uh, Hiroki Samura, uh, basically told Dark Horse, you're, you're not going to do that with my book. Uh, he instead uh, advocated for this uh, basically cutting up the panels and repasting them in reverse order. Whoa. in order to facilitate the same uh, thing. So you still read it left to right, but he's basically chopped up the panels, uh, except in instances where that's not, you know, you, you just can't do it. So, right. right. Uh, and he also told them, like, with his sound effect work, you know, or I, I think we call it word art in American comics, where it's like bam or boom or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, across the page. Uh, to preserve those in Japanese because they're art and right. he didn't want that changed. So I, I personally agree with that. I mean, like Viz oh, completely. Viz is really weird because they're one of the few publishers that publish America, like westernized uh, or excuse me, translated manga. And they translate all the sound effects um, when you get collected editions. They don't do it, if I recall correctly, in the weekly Shonen Jump app. Um, but so if you're reading individual chapters, I think you get you get it as is with the exception of like if you're reading back issues of of Bleach or anything that was published before like 2017, they did. They're basically taking the manga volumes and putting them into chapter form, which can lead to some funny business when you're reading. But yeah, I always thought that was weird that they translated those because in my opinion, like they add to the action of the scene, um, especially when you see it in like Kodansha books that they where they never change it or or Yen Press or Seven Seas where they never translate it, if I remember correctly, because I feel like it adds a weight. And all you have to do is put a little like English translation in small parentheses around it. I get yeah. that it says boom in like huge right. text across the screen um, if you put it in parentheses, because I, I think that it adds to the aesthetic of things. So that, that's interesting to hear that he fought for that, because I think at the time, a lot of English publishers were like, we can't do that. They won't know what that is. That's a strange language. You know, right. I mean, it was, it was the early 90s and I don't know shit about manga, but I'm guessing that uh, back then, you were probably lucky to have your uh, manga show up on American shelves. And so the idea that he was also like, yeah, I want this this way um, was pretty, it seems pretty wild to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the guy's a complainer, so he's definitely after my own heart. So I appreciate that. Uh, but as as Danny says, yeah, most just use annotations now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and why wouldn't you? Like, you're making more work for yourself. Make people flip pages the other way. It's fine. Jeez. <laughs> so, Nick, you've talked a lot about all of this stuff. What is this book about? That's that's fair. Let's let's touch on that. So, it follows this samurai named Manji during the middle of the Tokugawa shogunate period, which would probably mean something to me if I could remember my high school world history class. That's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, he ends up cursed by this old lady who tricks him into ingesting these worms that sort of term, turn him into like a Wolverine bloodshot individual who can't die, asterisk mostly can't die. And he ends up brokering this deal with this lady that if he kills, uh, she's sort of like a witch of sorts, um, that if he kills 100 evil men that she'll return his mortality Uh, there's kind of like a fun discussion about like, well, how am I supposed to know who's really evil and how are you going to verify that like they're evil or whatever? And so there's this kind of this dumb discussion about like, how are we going to like, what are the real rules of this premise? And so he's sort of trying to figure out how he's going to deal with this. And then he ends up running into this young woman named Rin, who's trying to avenge the death of her parents. They were killed by this master swordsman uh, who's going around with this, gang called the Itu Ryu and they're this like school right a fighting school um, but unlike the schools of the era that are like oh this is the school of the sword and the school of I don't know what else the axe Hard or knocks. something right yeah <laughs> they're like a you know they're a school of chaos because they believe in like winning by any principle and and so they don't you know, the, they're the ends justify the means school. And so they'll do whatever it takes or they don't believe in this like, oh, this is this is how you fight and this is how you use this weapon and all of this. And so uh, basically they kill her family and she's looking for revenge and she's told, well, maybe you need like a bodyguard on this path for revenge or you need someone to guide you. And so she ends up running into Manji and they sort of turn into this kind of like a 
older guardian and then, you know, younger figure looking for revenge that needs to be protected sort of setup that we've seen in other things, somewhat like Lone Wolf and Cub, or I think there's another one by the same guided Lone Wolf and Cub, like, uh, called like Path of the Samurai. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a little bit of this before, but I think what really sells me on this and how it was sold to me by Xander in some ways is that like the main character Manji in a lot of these samurai era manga books of which I have read a couple, like you end up with this main character who wants to talk for like 30 pages and he's super stoic about the warrior code or whatever. And you're like, this isn't fun. Like I can go read a manual. Like that's fine. And then you have the other ones who are just like, cocky nonstop quippy jerks just like constantly little edge lords and they're like you want to put up with this for 30 volumes and i'm like i don't want to put up with this for 30 pages listen man <laughs> i i read blade or i read blade i read uh bleach i mean bleach it's, yeah, sure it's great. right and i don't i don't like either of those and that's like <laughs> why zan that's i think as xander put it and he's like it's it's a manga but it doesn't have those kind of manga ish tropes interesting manji's a little bit of a jerk but he's not a total ass uh he's like selfish and self-serving but he's not like an edgelord and he's not like an anti-hero in like lincoln park cover art font okay (laughs) Okay. Uh, i guess is 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 one way of putting it it's very specific but i know exactly what you mean when you say it yeah i I try uh so he's just People behave like normal people in this book, I think is a good way of putting it. Hmm. And I I mean, I'm just a couple volumes in, but just the art is is just unbelievable. It's beautiful. The action sequences are fantastic. Um, The dialogue, like I said, it's it's a they talk at length at the beginning of the book about like the dialogue seems modern but that's also because that was a choice by the author. Um, the more royal characters, the more sort of characters of, uh, you know, prestige or um, royalty uh, do speak formally. And they have been tr- apparently translated accordingly. And then the characters that are much more sort of like street level characters, your average, you know, Joe or so uh, does speak colloquially like, in modern speech and that's deliberately done by the author and then deliberately uh done by the translator gotcha so um so i won't be confused is what you're saying when i read this book no i i I think it's really straightforward and yes there is sort of this like straight line of these two characters uh going around and trying to deal with this um and the different followers of the gang and and uh and whatnot. And then of course, dealing with these weird powers that he has where, you know, they can cut off his, his arms and legs and everything. Um, but as long as they're like sort of put near each other, you know, they'll just latch back onto themselves. And there's sort of, you know, some ideas that, okay, if you separate the head from the rest, then maybe the person dies. But then of course they start entering, you know, adding little wrinkles to that of, okay, well, how do you really kill someone like this? And Oh, hell yeah. Hell minor yeah. spoilers. You, inc- you you start to figure out that other people may have similar powers. Hell so. yeah. Oh, Nick, you're unfolding this story in a way that I absolutely love it when it comes to manga, where it's like, this guy's the most powerful person ever. And then you start meeting people yeah. that are somehow more powerful than him, but they're like, it's more powerful, but different. That's why we didn't say that they were more powerful than him. Hell yes. Right. But it doesn't me. get obsessed with like fucking these are my secret power levels and I am using the level seven shadow strike or whatever. Oh. And you are only level five and a half. Ha ha ha. <laughs> like, it's not like that. Um, okay. You, you see, you find some people that are sort of similar to him, but then I think what gets really interesting is that um, you start to wonder, you know, can you turn these powers off or how can you turn off other people's sort of like abilities? But the abilities are like very, they're not like magical, right? They're sort of like biologically based around right. In heavy quotes. worm thing. <laughs> biologically, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Around this magic worm. <laughs> Quote yeah, unquote yeah. <laughs> science is happening. Yeah. 
That's my favorite part about My Hero Academia sometimes. They'll be like, his body can only physically withstand this thing because muscles and ligaments. I'm like, dude, that guy just turned into a fucking flamethrower. Right. What are you right. talking about? Why are about? we suddenly like imposing rules of human biology when yeah, we've yeah. gone and done these other things that are so violently defying That's them? my. Uh, it's yeah. amazing. Amazing. But it's it's I've 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 had a blast with this. And I think when you realize that this book was coming out in the mid 90s and I don't know what manga looked like in the mid 90s. But like if you would have tried to start selling me a book like this from like mid 90s American comics, I think I would have been like, oh, no, like <laughs> right, uh, right, how right, many right. mullets, how many mullets and like how many pouches and how many guns and <laughs> how how many chains is this book going to involve? Yeah. Rob Liefeld's Blade of the Immortal. I yeah. see. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Uh, but, yeah, I would I would definitely at least encourage people to to give it a try just because it is it – is, well, I, it's I did, pretty fun. I did grab all of it because it was in that Dark Horse sale, and I was like, whatever. Like, that was what my beer mind was thinking was, you know what? Who cares, right? Um, I'll eventually read it. So I, uh, yeah, but you've, you've convinced me. I've been craving something that feels like Vinland Saga. And this sounds like it's going to scratch that itch for me um, because Vinland Saga is absolutely amazing. And I am desperate. I'm devastated that I don't have more of it to read because the book only comes out so often. So um, yeah, but Danny, yeah, Danny in, in, the, in the chat is curious about, should we, should we all go buy the big four volumes that of the deluxe edition that came out? I oh, bought God. the digital edition. <laughs> Um, but who knows if I like it, I may try to get those physical editions in the future. But, um, anyways, the other, the other thing I think we want to talk about before we wrap up the show here was, have, have you guys seen these Hellfire Gala like outfits? Um, yeah, I, I just, I just wanted to talk about Gambit some more. I'm okay, just confused. Okay. Wasn't this a thing like years ago? So the Hellfire Gala is a thing that like the X-Men comics have used for a long time to be like all of these fancy rich, maybe evil people are getting together. Um, and they're, they're from the hellfire club. So usually they're like the rich individuals of the world. Some of them are, you know, politicians. Some of them are mutants with like nefarious things like Sebastian Shaw, um, Emma Frost, you know, gets her start in the, in the uh, hellfire stuff. Um, but since the hellfire, organization has kind of been co-opted by emma frost and taken over um in the modern era of x-men she's like well we're still going to do these hellfire gala things because we still want people to come and see what the mutants are up to and this is our way to do that right so last year when they did a hellfire gala their big thing was hey by the way we're fucking taking over mars motherfuckers like they went to mars and now we have a whole planet that belongs to mutants that they're terraforming and yada 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 so the question is like What's going to be the big announcement this year? I think this is a fantastic way to like basically springboard giant launches in canon without just making an announcement at a convention. Instead, it's a thing that happens in the comics continuity so that we don't just have random events coming out of our asses. Is this just the Met Gala for Marvel villains? Well, based off of the description. So, yeah. So, Brian, I'm going to pitch this, pass this back to you. Um, We were talking about the, the... the outfits last night um let's let's talk about gambit's outfit i guess to get started my favorite thing about the gambit outfit is that uh he's got this this weird like exposed hip bone cutout thing going on yeah i I keep seeing people (laughs) be like oh my god did you see that gambit's like hoeing around it's just like gambit has always been yeah. hoeing around where have you been yeah the man's been a thought for 30 years yeah like, it's of just course the- he's got a tits out gala look yeah, are they gonna bring back the marvel beach issue thing they fucking should it's so easy it's right there on the table like come on we're like captain america's like spiking a volleyball in a speedo and like all of that are mm-hmm. they bringing that they should bring that back i mean sure I, that I was would, some of the funniest shit I ever saw. Uh, I mean, I think the problem that people, you know, are worried about and understandably so is like it's just going to be like cheesecake. Beefcake. Yeah, cheesecake women, right? But like I think there's there's enough horny ex fans out there that they would care about enough, every single You mean person. too many? I think I you mean too many. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs> I don't think enough is the problem. Okay. I can't argue I can't argue with that. Now I can't find this picture. <laughs> Yeah, like there's there, there's tons of uh, of great costumes besides uh, Gambit and his his mating display of an outfit. Yeah, um, 
I love Wolverines. Like uh, this is X twenty three Wolverine. She's got yeah. these cool like big yellow punk boots with spikes on them. I mean, I loved all the outfits from last year too. I'm glad that they're like bringing this back because Russell Dodderman, who's who's done a lot of the concepts for these, is like going hard as fuck for some of these. Like the Doctor Doom one, by far my favorite. Like how could he, Russell Dodderman? did a great service to me. He drew both a slutty gambit and an exquisite Dr. Doom. Like what else could I ask for in this world? I, I'm, I'm more than pleased. This gambit looks like a stage five, like tornado hit him like a mall. And then the hot topic fell on his head. <laughs> Good God. It's amazing. Oh uh, I'm glad to finally have some validation from, from Tia, uh, because I think that the She-Hulk outfit is hideous. Hmm. Uh, and I thought that was just me not knowing anything about fashion. But now that I've got Tia on my side, I feel much more confident mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Man, I mean, some of these, like the the magic costume is is like, it's giving a lot of like dominatrix vibes more so than usual for this character, you know? I like the uh, the additional little like cloven hooves on the, the shoes. I mm-hmm. think that's a great touch. Mm-hmm. Really leaning into the demon stuff. Uh, you want to know what's really bad is the ca- uh, Black Widow. Oh, I was, I was just pulling that picture up in the. <laughs> it's the uh, the ankle length red ponytail for me. Oh, I thought this was yeah. just an X-Men thing. It's not restricted to. Well, the idea is like they they invite like the world to this gala, right? It's like the one time of the year, you know, heavy quotes there because people are coming to the fucking island all the time. But (laughs) it's like the one time of the year where people from outside are invited to come and like participate in this big event. Like you said, it's like the Met Gala kind of thing, but for the X-Men. Okay, okay, that's fair. I'm following. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, It, it is truly a the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. it does fashion. feel like with some of these it's like this guy probably had five minutes to come up with this one and this <laughs> one seems like it took forever <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's it's fun stuff it's it's rough i think that some characters like their their demeanor or their power set really lend themselves to mm-hmm. a certain kind of costume mm-hmm. like doom obviously it's going to be fur trim obviously yeah. it's going to be like a huge cloak uh but then yeah like she hulk um purple pants we know that's a hulk thing mm-hmm. um and then i guess a tube top yeah classic thing that people with like very large chest can easily wear yeah i mean I, I love that spider-man she's got is guns that? out but... i think the spider-man that we're seeing here is miles morales I'm not oh, okay 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 i mean it just says spider-man on the design but this looks like a miles design more so than like a, a yeah Peter black design. black and red is more miles right that's yeah. more of a miles thing yeah I mean, peter's I, I you know, know just i know be jack his, shit just be his, his spider suit with a fucking tie or something <laughs> like yeah yeah okay professor parker or something i like the i like the shoes i like but yeah the, this this series sneakers. is coming out uh in june if i'm not mistaken they're actually doing like a hellfire gala one shot if i'm not mistaken Okay. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. I, I don't know. I'm still reading X-Men. I constantly am complaining about how hit or miss these books are. And I don't I hope someone can come in and like re-architect things. Part of me thinks that that's going to be Kieran Gillen's Immortal X-Men will somehow set some precedence for like, all right, guys, we need to keep doing cool shit. Because even just in his first issue, he's done a fantastic job of like establishing things that are going to have ramifications across the line. And I'm, I'm very excited for that. So fingers crossed. This just makes me want them, I mean, by and by them I mean Marvel, to read, uh, to revisit that um, recreating records, um, oh, the, look of the album covers. covers that they did. Oh my Dude, gosh! Why have they not done that again? I'm sure from like a legal and a logistics and a like, you know, paying everybody what they owe sort of thing. I'm sure it's like a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, maybe it's creative interpretation and, and, and parody, but probably you probably still got to pay out. Um, but that was really cool. And I do not know. I mean, looking at this cool theme, you know, and motif that they're doing. I mean, obviously, there's a narrative side to it as well. Right. Whereas yeah. the album thing didn't. But why have they not gone back to that? Because that was so much fun. Yeah. But we'll get on the we'll get on the horn with our just folks an idea, Marvel. Marvel, not even a new idea, just just. Do do the old one or DC if you're feeling like you're out of ideas. Just <laughs> no, no. DC's gonna go, go do Lego ghost. variants again, Nick. 
again, that was kind of, I mean, I thought that was kind of fun. Okay. I'm sure. sure I'm the only one. I know there were a lot of people at that time who were like, went into the shop today, ran out of the normal cover. Look at this stupid thing I got. Right. Um, so I just remember when I was shopping at Midtown Comics, it was like nonstop Legos for like three months straight. Like that whole summer that they were doing Lego variants. I was like, all right, I get it. You can make Aquaman with the little peg arms and stuff like that. Getting, you know, bursting through fake Lego water. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, let's let's wrap up the show here. I think we I think we've gone through everything. Danny, no. Um, Danny, no, I forgot. My brain had let me not remember that. Danny has posted a Magic Mike, I think, inspired Justice League cover that DC did because they technically did movie power series. That's right. Maybe this is like a whole other episode topic maybe that we could do in the future. It's just talking about like really cool like homage covers because i think there have been some some pretty solid it's 10 percent of times that variant covers are actually a good thing right 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 <laughs> and it, it, it kind of begs the question of like why not just make really cool art books um but yeah uh, you know that's a whole other thing because who bought the image eight dollar comic that was just full of covers and annotations i don't think anybody here did so um anyways we're gonna wrap up here uh next week's episode is a commissioned episode from one of our patrons uh paul Nick and Kara are going to be digging into comments inspired by music and or created by musicians, which is really exciting. Shout out to Cinco for that. I'm really excited to hear that episode next week. But anyways, you can always follow us on Twitter. You can follow Brian at Brian Head. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow uh, me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Shout outs to Renee for running our TikTok. He's been doing, he's been putting out some pretty fun stuff. This episode first aired on Patreon as possible because of our wonderful patrons can join us today for exclusive series like ircb movie club saga of saga a better batmobile and more you can join now at patreon.com slash ircb podcast and if you haven't already please rate and review our show five stars on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts because we deserve it you can also join the ircb discord community to chat comics and more plus you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week you can find the link to our discord in the show notes just to let you know what you're missing uh we talked about pokemon for like 20 minutes today <laughs> and I do it again too. <laughs> and we believe that podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth. So why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about IRCB? Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music and we can't thank them enough. Xander is a very, very cool guy who makes us sound pretty cool every week. We appreciate him because he edits the show. I want to say thanks to Nick and Brian for being on this episode. Thanks to everyone hanging out with the Discord and talking Pokemon and all this other crazy stuff today. But until next time. Comics are good, and so are you.